Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm super happy that we are past summer here in Texas. Like, the, praise God. We got some, we got some cooler weather coming. Cooler temperatures are arriving. And I don't really, I don't know what hell feels like, but Texas has got to feel pretty similar to that, the way it felt this last summer. And so I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't like the heat in Texas, so I have no plans of, you know, going to hell and feeling that temperature. So anyways, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I am from the north. Uh, I was born in Wisconsin. I was raised in Wisconsin for like the first seven years of my life. And so I am a Yankee at heart. And so moving, moving down to Texas was like a huge culture shock for me. I don't know if any of you guys have moved in from another place or not, but like I came to Texas and people were wearing boots and buckles and cowboy hats. And I was like, what in the world is going on here? This is different than what I'm used to. And so uh, I had these experiences throughout my life where I would be, you know, I'd be a, more aware of the fact that I don't fit in in Texas. And so, for example, one time, uh, we and my friends, we were going to the stockyards, and I was like, I had no clue what the stockyards were, so I just wore a pair of nice shoes, a pair of like slacks like this, and a, and a regular shirt. And I show up, and everybody, again, is walking around with a big old cowboy hat, and they got their big old buckles out there, and they have their boots on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wore the wrong stuff to the stockyards, and I stuck out like a sore thumb. Another moment where this happened in my life was uh, I was in high school at the time, and my friends came up to me and asked me, they're like, AJ, have you ever been to Bucky's? And I was like, Bucky's? Has anybody ever been to Bucky's in here? Yeah, 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 Bucky's. They're like, AJ, have you ever been to Bucky's? And I was like, I have never been to Bucky's before. Like, what, what in the world is a Bucky's? And they were like, it's a gas station. And I was like, Sweet. Why do we want to go there? I was like, well, why do we, why do we want to go to Bucky's, man? And so they were like, listen, you don't understand. Bucky's is like a staple in Texas. When you move to Texas, you've got to go and experience a Bucky's. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, I'll go to this glorified gas station that's like the promised land of Texas. And so we, we find a day where we can go up to the Bucky's in North Fort Worth. Uh, and so we drive up there and I drive up and it's like, oh my goodness. It's a madhouse. There are like 110 gas pumps up there, and people are going crazy. People are zooming in and out, and they're trying to get into spots in the gas station. People are cutting each other off, and I'm like, this is crazy. And then we hop out of the car, and we walk up and in, and, in, and they just walk in like it's normal. And I walk in, and the first thing I hear is somebody hollering from the other side of the, the, other side of the store. They say, brisket on the board. And I'm like, what? what is going on here? Like, I, I don't fit in in this place. Brisket on the board? What does that even mean? And so if you've been to Bucky's, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, why are you trying to sell me beef jerky and at the same time also trying to sell me an aromatherapy candle? Like, it doesn't make sense. Or why are you trying to sell me home furnishings while at the same time trying to sell me stuff that I'm supposed to put on the pickup truck that I don't have? It, it just, I didn't feel like I was a part of the Southern culture of Bucky's at the time. Now here's what I know. I know that some of us as Christians can feel sort of out of place in the world and the culture that we live in. And it makes sense. And the reason why it makes sense is because of something that Paul writes in Philippians 3.20 when he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is why when you're in the presence of God, when you're in a worship service in a setting like this, where the presence of God is, this is why it kind of feels like home. 
This is why it feels like this is the best place I could ever be and I could ever want to be. This is greater than being at my, my favorite team's Super Bowl game. This is better than any sports event that I can be at, any concert that I can be at. There's nothing like the presence of Lord. And the reason why that is is because our citizenship is of heaven. We're, we're not meant to live for the temporal here. We're meant to live for the eternal of heaven. And here's the deal. One day, the reason why it feels like home again is because eventually one day we're all going to be called home and we're all going to be worshiping and in his presence forevermore. And I can't wait for that time, but we have more work to do here until he calls us home. So this verse makes it clear that we're not citizens of this world, which means that we shouldn't look like what the world does. And we've got to understand that we're not living for what this world is living for. No, we're living for something that the world doesn't even understand or comprehend. We are living for something far bigger. We're living for something that has eternal impact and not temporal impact. And so we as Christians have got to get this down. But here's the deal. We live in a world that's fallen, and we live in a world that is sinful, and we live in this culture that gratifies the desires of the flesh, and oftentimes what we're going to find, ourselves, what we're going to find happening in our lives is that we're going to begin to give in to the pressures of the world. And there may be times in our life where we begin to do the same things that the world does, and what I see in Christianity today is that we look too much like the world. We look, we look too much, we act too much like the world that whenever we go out, we see somebody who is a supposed Christian and they say they're Christian, but they're acting the same way as somebody who doesn't even believe in Jesus is. And there's an issue that I sense here, and we as Christians, we try to demonize culture a lot of times. Like, we, we, we look at culture and we say, oh, it's so gross, culture is so bad. Like, can you believe what they're doing? Can you believe what's happening in Hollywood? And here's the truth, I can believe what's happening in Hollywood. Because they don't have a Lord and a Savior. They don't have somebody to give them direction. They don't have somebody to show them the right way, the right way to live life. And so I don't demonize them. My heart breaks for them. My heart, my heart desires that they would get to know Christ and that they would get to love Christ. And here's the deal. If we demonize culture, if we demonize those people, they're not going to want anything to do with what we have. The message that we have is going to be tarnished because of our attitude towards them. So when we see culture, when we see people who are not living for God, don't judge them. We were all that way at one point of our lives. And God, by God's grace, we were saved. It was nothing that we did. It was by God's grace that we were saved. And he pulled us up out of culture. He pulled us up out of sin. He pulled us up out of our mess. And he put us in his presence. And so we can't judge, we can't tarnish the message that we have because our attitude towards them is negative and we demonize them. No, 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 no. We can't do that. But at the same time, we can't be so involved in culture. We can't be so mixed up with what the world is doing that we begin to fall into sin and we begin to compromise our faith. And this is the state of the Christian church today. We compromise our faith because we're looking, we're trying to look too much like the world. We're trying to look too cool. We're trying to be seeker friendly and things like that. But it waters down the gospel. It waters down the message that we are supposed to have for the world. So tonight, what I want us to look at is that problem. And I want us to see uh, that there is a way that we as Christians can live in the world where people who are not Christians are going to say they are the most loving people. They are, they are the, there are people who whenever they're faced with a problem, they do not cave under pressure. I don't want to know more about them. But at the same time, I want us to look at the problem of, well, how do we 
reach them without being too much like them. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. And so this same scenario is, a, is something that we see in the book of Daniel. But before I go there, I do want to say this. It's Ephesians 6, 12, and 13. And I'm going to read it from my paper Bible tonight. Uh, I vote we bring paper Bibles back to church. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. Uh, I lo- I'd love to hear the crisp turning of the pages. But anyways, uh, Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, it says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. A war is not against flesh and blood. A war is not against the people next to us, but a spiritual force, his name is Satan, who seeks, who, his main objective is to steal, kill, and destroy from your life and others. And so tonight we're going to look at a passage in Daniel. I'm going to catch y'all up on y'all's Bible reading tonight. If you have missed out, we're going to be reading the Bible. And so the book of Daniel, to give you a little bit of clarity, is about these men of God who even though they felt the pressure around them to follow a culture that was not their culture, it did not cause them to have the Christianity or to have their belief in God, their faith in God die. It actually caused an opposite reaction within them for their faith to rise up and for them to be an example of what looking like a believer looks like. Now, obviously, uh, Jesus was not around at this time. They believed and had faith in God. They had faith in, it, in Yahweh. And so we're going to spend most of this message in Daniel chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel 3, and we're going to spend most of our time there. And so I believe that if there was one question that this chapter in Daniel is asking us, it's this. The question that I would be asking is, is the fire within you greater than the furnace before you? Church, I'm here to ask you, is the fire within you greater than the furnace before you? Because here's the deal, I'm telling you, we're living in a day and age where our fire within us for the things of the Lord needs to be greater than the furnace that lies before us, the challenges that the enemy is going to put before us. Because if the, furnace, if the fire is not greater inside of us than the furnace before us, we're going to be burned up. We're going to be discouraged. We're going to find ourselves lost and without direction. And so we have to know that the fire is burning inside of us for the Lord, that that is far greater than anything that the enemy can throw at you. You need to make sure that that fire is greater. And so tonight we've got to know that in the face of a furnace, we need to know what our fire tells us. And so we're going to be reading again in Daniel chapter 3. And in this book of Daniel, to give you context, the Israelites have been captured by Babylon and they've been put into slavery because they simply were disobeying God for a long time. And I used to make fun of the Israelites a lot because I was like, listen, God led them by day with the pillar of cloud and then by night by, with the pillar of fire and he split the Red Sea for them and they were still, you know, a few days later, they were still worshiping a golden calf at the base of the mount while Moses was up there. And I was thinking about my life, and I was like, I remember like all a ton of miracles that God has done in my life, and the next day I'm worshiping some version of the golden calf. <laughs> I'm sure we've all experienced this before. And so the Israelites, anyways, they're captured by Babylon. That was a complete side note. And they're put into slavery. But a few of the Israelites end up being in the king's court serving as his advisors. And in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon at the time, he issues this decree that when there is music being played, the certain music in Babylon that's being played, everybody must stop what they're doing and they have to bow down to this golden image that he has set up 
in Babylon. But there were some Jews that were not willing to do what he was asking them to do. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. Daniel 3, 8 says this. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. And so, have you ever felt, church, like you're in a scenario where the world is saying, if you don't do this very, if you do this, if you do what we ask you, if you fall into our ways, very good, but if not, then I'm going to make your life difficult. I'm going to make your your business difficult. I'm going to make your relationships difficult. I'm going to make your family life difficult. If you don't bow down, because the enemy always wants you to bow down, if you don't bow down, then I'm going to make your life hard if you don't bow down to these things. And here's what I want us to know. The enemy wants you to bow down to his idols. He wants you to give him the worship that he wants. And the reason why is because when Satan was in heaven, he looked at all the glory and adoration and love that God was getting, and he said, why, why can't I have that? Well, why, why should God be the only one to get that? Why, why can't I be elevated and be in the position of getting all this love and this adoration? And subsequently, he gets kicked out of heaven for the pride that he has. And so now, because he's kicked out of heaven, he desires for us to give him the worship that he believes he deserves. And he does it in a really sneaky way, and we'll cover the, those ways in just a second. But what we need to see is that these men in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were having nothing of what the enemy was putting before them. It wasn't even a consideration for them to bow before the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had put up. Like, like it, was not even, it wasn't even a thing that they had to think about. They had already fixed their minds that they were not going to bow when the music played. And so I want to give you a few things today that if we're going to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if we're going to be a Daniel-type people in a culture that gratifies the flesh and worship idols, if that's what we're going to be, we're going to have to do what they did. So the first thing that we see in this text is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose their conviction over compromise. Conviction over compromise. They had decided that they weren't going to bow down to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up because it went against the conviction that they had in their hearts to only worship God. God says, there are no other gods before me, and they stood on that conviction, and they said, it doesn't even matter. I'm I'm not going to bow down to this idol. There are no other gods before this God. And so we can look at this, and we can say, well, there are no golden images set up today. You're right, but we have gods in our lives today. Maybe it's the God of money that we're bowing, bowing down to. Maybe it's the the God of lust that nobody wants to talk about that we're bowing down to. I don't know what the God that you're bowing down to looks like, but we need to make sure that we have conviction instead of having compromise. And we need to have 
we need to have people who are willing to say no to the sinful things of this world, to the idols of this generation, and rise up in conviction and turn away from compromise. But what I see with Christianity today is that we're compromising all over the place in our lives. And then when we compromise, what happens is, is we're like, why can't I handle this furnace? I can't handle this. I can't go through this. Well, what is going on? We've got to get our conviction back. And the enemy will get you to compromise, and these are the tricky ways he does it. He does it little by little by little. And so one little moment turns into a little more, which turns into a little more, which turns into a little more. How, how in the world did I end up out of church? It started all the way back here when you decided not to go that one time for a reason that was not justifiable. How, how, did, how, did my family, how, did, how did my family become so far from God? It, it started back here when you stopped reading the Bible and praying with your family. Because you compromised and you were not willing to stand on your conviction that you're supposed to help lead your family, lead your kids in ways that, the God, that God intends a, us to, be, to do. How did all my relationships end up broken? It's because I compromised all the way back here. And he does it. He, he knows he can't do it in one fell swoop a lot of times. He's not going to throw something big at you and because, because we'll be able to pick on it. But it's little by little by little. And we have to be careful because that is how we end up compromising in our lives fully. And that's how we end up letting the furnace before us get the better of us. So listen, I love that a few minutes ago we were all worshiping and declaring the goodness of God together. But what I want us to see here is that they were all singled out. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Well, what do you believe? What, are you going to bow before me now or are you going to, are you going to disobey me again and am I going to have to punish you? And so what I love about this is that they, they, they had conviction, and we'll get to that in just a second, but it's not like they had to have, like, this holy huddle, you know? It's not like they were sitting there and, you know, the king asked them, are you going to bow? And they were not like, they didn't go like, oh, one second, king, one second, king. And they have to come over here, and they have to have this holy huddle, and they're like, oh, hey, hey, uh, Shadrach, what are you going to say? Meshach, what are you going to say? Uh, because I, if you're going to, I don't want to go to, you know, I don't want to go in the furnace and stuff like that. They didn't have to ask each other. What we're going to see later in this passage is that they answered immediately. There was no question about their faith. There was no question about their conviction. And so what I want us to see is that it's easy to worship. It's easy to have conviction here in a group setting. But what about when your name gets singled out when you're out in the world? Gary, what do you believe? Are you going to stand in your conviction? Curtis, Sarah, what do you believe? Are you going to stand in your conviction or are you going to compromise? No, we need to have conviction and we need to stand on the principles that this word gives us no matter what the world is trying to threaten us with. So... I don't know if any of you guys have an Apple Watch, but I have an Apple Watch. Um, and if you have an Apple Watch or any watch at all, I don't know if it does this for Samsungs or Androids. But an Apple Watch will randomly buzz throughout your day when you've been sitting for too long. And what it's going to say is, it's going to say, time to stand. And uh, uh, it does this when you've been sitting, like if you've gone like an hour without sitting, it's like time to stand. And so, uh, you know, it's always at the most inconvenient time too. I'll be at like a staff meeting or something in here. It's like time to stand. I'm like, I can't stand right now. Uh, and so, but what I want us to see is that we need a people who are going to stand spiritually. Yes. It's time to stand up for your family. Yes. It's time to stand up for your faith, even when it gets challenged in the workplace. Uh, maybe if it's at, at a school that you're going to, it doesn't matter. It's time to stand. And we need to put a spiritual watch on that says time to stand. Because if, if, a, if a watch, if a physical watch is put on you to worry about your physical health, 
By standing, how much more important is it that we have a spiritual watch on us that says time to stand for the things of God that matter in our lives? A while ago, uh, I was dating this girl in high school, and uh, I was going to church. I was so faithful, uh, and I was on the worship team. I was doing all this stuff. I was uh, leading worship on Wednesday nights, and I was helping be, you know, I was on my way to becoming an intern in the youth group. And one night, she just asked me, she was like, hey, how about we just miss church just this one time? I was like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, because like, well, whatever, it's just one time. You know, this is not going to hurt anything. Well, that one time turned into two, three, four five, six times, till eventually uh, I got fired off the worship team, uh, and rightly so. Uh, and so uh, I, uh, my life began to spiral out of control. And eventually we broke up, and I'm like, how in the world did I get here? How, how in the world did I end up in this place where I just got absolutely burned? And the reason why was because my conviction wasn't greater than my compromise back when I made that decision to start missing church the first time. That's right. And it's not just church, it's everything. If there is something in this Bible that tells you to do it, we have to stand on the conviction and believe that we are supposed to live that out. We're supposed to do those things. It's time to stand on your conviction and not compromise. We need to be Christians who stand on conviction. Now, the second thing that I see in this passage is that they had confidence in chaos. They had confidence in chaos. We're going to pick up the story in Daniel 3, verse 16, and read through 23, where it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was furious. He was angry with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, pause for a second. How stupid is that? Like, if you really wanted to punish somebody, wouldn't you turn the furnace down uh, instead? I don't know if I'm like a lunatic right now or not, but like if I was really looking to punish somebody, I'm turning the furnace down, not turning it, in, turning it up, because if I turn it up, they're just going to die that much quicker. And so if I'm really looking to punish, okay, anyways, I'm uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> anyways, he turns the furnace up seven times hotter. This is stupid, in my opinion, from, from Nebuchadnezzar. And so he then goes on to say, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, which is another stupid thing because aren't the bonds just going to be burned off? Anyways, moving on again, uh, and throwing them into the blazing furnace. So they throw them into the blazing, excuse me. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell in to the blazing furnace. Now what I want us to see is that when we are faced with the furnace, we need to have confidence. But it's not a self-confidence. It's not a confidence that says, oh, I can do this. In my ability, in my power, in my strength, I'm going to be able to overcome this. In, in, in my strength, I'm going to be able to do this thing. I'm going to be able to overcome this furnace. No, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with this furnace, their confidence was placed in God. Right. 
if you read it, if you read it back, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And then he goes on to say, he's like, even if he doesn't deliver us from it, it doesn't matter. We're not bowing down to your gold idol. We're not going to do it. And we need to have the same attitude and the same confidence today in the God that we serve. This is why Hebrews 10.35 says this. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Your confidence will be richly rewarded. Not self-confidence, but confidence that the Lord can deliver you and pull you through this furnace. Romans 8.31 and 32 says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What a fantastic promise for us. If, if you're a Christian in this room, if God is for us, who can be against us? Any furnace that you see, any furnace that is before you, any challenge, any pit, any trouble, any trial that is before you, I want your attitude to be this. If God is for me, who can be against me? Amen. Nothing can overcome the Lord our God. And so we have to have a confidence that the furnace we're facing today in the future, uh, any time that that furnace is not going to overtake us. And I also want to point out that the enemy gets mad when we don't bow to his idols. When we don't cave to the pressure he applies on our lives, when we don't cave to that, what often happens is our life begins to get out of control. And things just start to add up and stack up. And this is the way the enemy works. When you won't bow to his idols, he's going to throw everything at you. When you decide that you're going to be faithful to church, oh, there's a flat tire. Oh, oh, here, here's, here's a disagreement with your wife that makes you want to stay home. Hey, he's going to throw things at you. And th- this is what we see. We see chaos in this moment breaking out where Nebuchadnezzar just goes absolutely wild. He's like, turn the furnace up seven times hotter, put them in bonds, and throw them in. And this is what the enemy is going to do in your life. But we have to have a confidence even in the midst of chaos, even when it seems like your world is spinning out of control, even when your furnace feels like it's turned up seven times hotter. We need to have a confidence that God can deliver us. Here is the third and final point that I want to make tonight. The third and final point is that we need to that there is purpose in the furnace. There's purpose in the furnace. In Daniel 3, verse 24, we're going to pick it up again where he goes on to say this. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their their own god. 
Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned in a pile, uh, piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. And so I want us to see this. That there is purpose in our furnace. There is purpose. Everything we face in this life, like I said earlier, whether it's, it's a furnace, a pit, a persecution, a trial, we can count on the fact that God is going to turn it for our good. The same way he did in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life. And listen here, the reason why we can't tarnish the way that we relate to culture, the reason why we can't tarnish the message and completely demonize them is because of this situation right here. What we see when they talk to Nebuchadnezzar is that they didn't, they weren't, they did not slander him. They didn't call him stupid. They didn't demonize Nebuchadnezzar. They just put confidence in God. They said nothing negative about Nebuchadnezzar. No, instead they just had confidence in God. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're not demonizing culture, but we have confidence in God. And we live to, we, we just talk about how glorious and how great God is rather than demonizing the culture that we live in. Genesis 50 verse 20 says this. You intended to harm me. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Your furnace could be a testimony that ends up saving eternal lives. The furnace that you go through in the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through it, and they come out on the other side unscathed, unsinged, their robes are there, and they see a fourth, and Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth man in the fire, in the same way that that testimony served to save Nebuchadnezzar's life and eventually the entire Babylonian nation, that is the same opportunity that we have when we're walking through a furnace to live as living testimonies. And listen, I've seen this countless times in my life. When I had a cancer scare and I thought I was very sick, God turned that and used that to call me to ministry. Because whenever I had that cancer scare, when I was walking through that, I had this understanding that I can't do it on my own. I can't face this trial. I can't face this furnace on my own. So I pressed into God. And in that moment, God used that to say, hey, why are you running away from ministry? Well, why, why, why are you running away from this? And he called me to ministry in that issue. Another example is when I had a chronic issue with my foot. I was after COVID and I went to the doctors. I was in extreme pain every time I took a step on my right foot. I went to the doctors and I was like, what is going on? What is this? They were like, this is a sickness. I don't even know how to pronounce this. So I'm not going to try to for you guys. They were like, this is a sickness and it's chronic. We could do surgery on you, but it's like 50-50 that it ends up fixing it. They're like, we'd rather not do the surgery because it can get worse if it's a failed surgery. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I, I can't do this. Like, I just started working at the church. I, I, I do a lot of walking around here. And so if my foot is hurting constantly, if this is chronic, uh, I'm going to struggle to get the work that I have to do done here. And eventually I just said, you know what? I'm going to bring it up at staff prayer and I, I'm, I'm going I'm to tell them about it. And so we prayed right here during a staff prayer. And we prayed and it didn't feel like anything happened. I was like, okay, I'm just going to believe and have faith. I'm going to have confidence that God can deliver me from this, that he can heal me from this. But if he doesn't, he'll give me the strength. He'll give me the ability to do what I need to do anyways, because he's called me to this. This is my calling. He's, he, you know, I'm not going to be disqualified by some sickness. And day, a couple days pass, and eventually these bumps that were on my foot that were causing me extreme pain just began to disappear. After, having two month, after, after two months of having this pain that was hindering me, in my work, it began to disappear, it began to disappear, and eventually there were no more bumps left on the bottom of my foot. 
When I was told that it was chronic, God used this sickness to say, listen, I am Jehovah Rapha, the God, your healer. And not only is this a testimony for me, this is a testimony for other people too. If you're sick, if you're going through illness, God can heal you. God wants to heal you. But here's the deal. We also have to have faith that even, even if it doesn't happen, God's going to give me the strength to walk through it. The same way that Paul says, I have this thorn in the flesh, God, take it away from me. He says it three times. It says he pleaded with the Lord, and God wouldn't take it away. But God, in his weakness, gave him strength to walk through it. When I was lost and broken from a relationship and in deep depression, I thought, I thought you know, I was like, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. Like, I, I am so broken. I am so depressed. This is horrible. And God used that those moments of depression, and he spoke into my life, and he said, I've got someone else for you. And immediately, uh, the peace of God that transcends understanding overtook me. I went from bawling, crying with my head down on my bed to rising up and having joy and smiling because there was a peace that I can't even explain other than it being the peace of God that transcended over me. And all of these are part of my testimony that I get to speak to people. All of these are furnaces that I walked through where I had confidence in God and God delivered me from the furnace. And here's the deal. You guys all have stories as well of the countless miracles that God has done in your life where he's pulled you through a furnace that you thought you weren't going to survive. A furnace that you thought, I, I can't do this on my own. And that's right, we can't do it on our own. We need a God who can pull us through the furnace. You may be walking through a furnace right now, and I don't know what your furnace might be, but what I do know is that we have a God who can pull us through our furnace. We have a God who, who can come in and not only pull us through the furnace, but we can get pulled through it and we're going to be unscathed the same way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. And there's going to be purpose that we see come out of our furnace. So what's the furnace you're in? Is it big? Is it small? Maybe you're not in one right now. Maybe you're like, hey, AJ, life is good. Praise God, I'm glad. But I can tell you, a furnace is coming. And so we need to do three things. We need to make sure that we have conviction down in our hearts. We need to make sure that we believe everything that this word says and we're going to stand on it no matter what the world, no matter what furnace comes at us, whatever we're threatened with, this prevails over it all. And so we have to have conviction. And the second thing is, is that we need to have confidence in God. Confidence that God can pull us through the greatest storms, the greatest battles, and the greatest trials of life. And finally, we need to know that there's a purpose in our furnace. God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, who love him and are called according to his purpose in Christ Jesus. Stand on that promise when you're going through a furnace. Where I'm going to end is I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, Pastor Mark's going to come up here, and he's going to dismiss us. So let's pray. And Father, we thank you today that you are a God who can pull us through the greatest battles, the greatest trials, the greatest furnaces of our life, Father. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't cave in to the pressure of the world, that we wouldn't look too much like the world, Father God, but that we would be a people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that rise up and say, you know what? In, the, in a dark world, I'm going to be a light to others. I'm not going to demonize culture. No, I'm going to be an example for what being a Christian looks like in our lives. And Father, I pray for supernatural strength for anybody who's in a furnace right now, God. Lord, that they would put their confidence in you and that they would stand on their conviction, that they would know that you are God and that you love them and that you are for them. You're faithful, Father. And Lord, we just glorify and honor you in all of this tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and thank you. Amen.